The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law Professor Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good Saturday to you. And good day to you, Stephen. Well, it's an exciting day here at Wagner and Winnick on the Law today because I was just checking our statistics And this is not going to surprise you, but the single most popular downloads of our show have centered... Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess what the three top topics have been on our for downloads for our show? Drones. Yes. Marijuana. Yes. And anything having to do with law enforcement. Well, actually, more restricted to guns. Guns. So, yeah. So, I figured you were going to say guns, sex, and rock and roll, but but it's close. You've been mining some data. I have been. And so, today, we're going to be able to talk about two of those three topics with an expert in intellectual property law. We're going to, believe it or not, we're going to talk about cannabis and drones related to intellectual property law. We're going to find a way to logically connect those two topics with intellectual property law. And, you know, that's a real stretch, but we are going to do that. If I had a drum, <laughs> I, I, would, I would start the drum roll. Let's bring in Dave LaRiviere. We're delighted to have with us Dave LaRiviere, an intellectual property attorney. Dave has been a guest on our show before. Intellectual property has been his area of expertise for his entire practice. Dave, welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Appreciate that uh, putting me on the spot to relate cannabis <laughs> to drones, but I might be able to do that, as a matter excellent. of fact. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's excellent. So, Dave, before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, a lot of people don't know what we're talking about when we say intellectual property. So let's just kind of set the stage. What's in that category? Well... Anything that comes out of your mind is essentially intellectual, an intellectual property. I used to say it's a <clears throat> a four-bit word for a nickel thought, which is probably <laughs> too much denigration, in, in spite of the fact, in, especially in fact, that I spent a good bit of my adult life in the field. It's patents, patented techn- patentable technology, it's copyrights, it's trademarks, it's trade secrets. Trade secrets are pretty darn important right now. Uh, it's uh, a lot of things that people don't anticipate. Uh, trade dress, for example, is uh, an important aspect, including uh, the kinds of things you might 
not think about, like how does a restaurant present itself? That's tread dress. Oh, uh, interesting. So we have lots of different flavors of intellectual property. And in other countries, it's even more different. They have a thing in Europe called an RCD, which is a registered community design, which we do not have the equivalent here. We have instead, we have design patents. Uh, we have various flavors of patents. We can get into that later. And so that protection is, uh, you mentioned international, but generally speaking, that protection is national protection, right? So it's through the Trademark and Patent Office or the Patent Office of the United States? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> ah, Sorry to do that. Hey, wait a minute. With three lawyers in the three same Three lawyers. <laughs> it depends. All that yes and Dave no. can bill hourly <laughs> for giving a good yes definition no. of it depends. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, uh, no. Typically, you're exactly right, Mitch. It is tied to a particular country. Thing is, some countries cover more areas than you might anticipate. For example, if you register a trademark in the United States, you cover Guam and Puerto Rico. You wouldn't think about that. So you can have choice of law issues and some challenges as to what law governs. Exactly right. In Europe, there is a European patent now. Um, They're trying to figure out how to enforce it, but basically, uh, if the law kicks in, as they hope to do by the end of this year, they'll have a single patent that's applicable in all 25 European countries. More on that later. Okay. And then, Dave, can you give a, ba- a basic distinction between patent and trademark? Because I know that the public gets that confused. Yeah, in fact, we're often asked, you know, I'd like to trademark something. Well, no, what they really mean, they want to patent something. A patent covers an idea. It protects an idea. Uh, it really doesn't have much to do with trademarks in that sense, although they kind of relate. A trademark is always an adjective. It's hmm. always a descriptive word or a logo. Uh, For example, Kraft brand cheese, Uh, uh, Kodak. Kodak doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, uh, it's just an acronym that was invented to relate to the source of the goods. Frigid air. Perfect. And people call call them fridges. Fridges, exactly right. right. And we go to Xerox. And then we go to Xerox. We do, yeah. (laughs) You took the words right out of my mind. It becomes a verb. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think it's a good thing to kick around first because I hear it misused a lot, those two. And and I can imagine you get clients that actually do come in thinking, like you said, they they think they want a trademark, but what they really need is protection for their their ideas. And the trouble with telling you that a trademark is always an adjective is many people say, what's an adjective? But anyway, (laughs) we try not to get into that. But it's always a descriptive term. It's always something that relates to, some, to, to the source of a product or services. And then, Dave, we're going to jump into, as, as, as Mitch indicated in the lead, and we're going to talk about some interesting issues having to do with whether or not, uh, I guess, ideas surrounding the manufacturing and growing of marijuana can be patented. We'll talk about that. Oh, but yeah. one of the things that I do in criminal law, and I do it early on, is I talk about the theft of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they can be right. the subject of theft. And I think that's something that you deal with, too, in, in, in terms of your patent analysis. All the time. And we'll get into that a little later, I think, as, as we talked about the different things we may cover today. But, yes, we get into that quite often. And, unfortunately, and I'll describe this a little more later, present uh, federal law here in the United States actually encourages it. Encourages it, it, the theft encourages of ideas? the poaching and theft or leaving it open so oh, that and free market, free that, market of ideas. Yeah. I suspect is that a that's, great lead-in for next episode. That's oh. really good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so let's talk about drugs because okay, that's good. what everybody <laughs> wants to talk about. My understanding is there is a recent patent granted for cannabis, the first time ever, and that could be a real game changer in what is a burgeoning 
industry, ag industry actually, but an industry. So tell us a little about that. A newly issued patent, it's uh, just over a year old. It's in the nine million level. We've issued nine million patents wow. since uh, all of this uh, it's a big file cabinet. started. Yeah, big file, <laughs> although everything's in the cloud now. Anyway, um, no, this is a very interesting patent for a whole other reason I can mention in passing. Um, as most of our, or many of our listeners already know, cannabis, more, more fondly known as marijuana, uh, has been uh, in use and, and uh, around for a long time, but in 1972, uh, marijuana was classified as a Schedule One drug under the U.S. Controlled Substances Act. So, in fact, uh, you couldn't really sell it all that legally. We've heard all the different uh, uh, issues uh, in the state of California versus some other states in the federal law. So how do we patent something that's supposedly illegal? Well, and is that generally a threshold question that you cannot patent something that would be fundamentally illegal? There are some morality issues associated mm. with patent law. Um, they're becoming blurred currently with this marijuana situation. Um, and, and how do you enforce it sort of thing? And, of course, we hear that, in fact, some of our fires have been burning some of those growth places out. Anyway, this one is very interesting, though. This particular patent covers the, the amount of THC. That is the part of the marijuana uh, chemical. By the way, my background is electrical engineering and computers, so I'm a little it's, off by It's the buzz component. <laughs> it's the buzz, yeah. It's the buzz. Thank you. Right. Uh, you would know that in criminal... Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's the buzz component. They have discovered a way, and they have patented it, they being uh, an outfit called Biotech Institute. They're down in Southern California, and they have found a way to control the amount of that THC. And they can control it, actually, they almost make it a, a, a specialty in controlling the amount of THC for the treatment of various medical... So they're trying to hit the medicinal marijuana... Exactly, uh, without the buzz. Yeah. Right, interesting. So controlling the levels of the THC. And they found a way to control it within 1%. They can control it that finely by this particular patented process, and that's how they got the patent. Okay, now you mentioned process... Let's, is that what's actually being patented, the, the methodology or the, the process by which this is done, Dave, or what? What's, what's, what exactly is being patented? Both. I'm both. sorry. I had to tell you that. I'm sorry. They have both <laughs> flavors of claims, uh, both the product itself, and interestingly, it's not just the plant. It's plant, uh, plant parts or pieces of the parts so that you can grind it up and put it on, in a... Uh, uh, what a brownie, for example, yeah. you can eat it. Right. Okay, so they have all of those parts protected by a a pro, well, what I would call an uh, a um, apparatus patent. Okay, that's an apparatus a, patent a, for pot. It's yeah. an apparatus <laughs> patent for pot. Yeah, so that's the that's actually the going to market phase of it, right? It is. It's, we're yeah. out of the lab and we're now into the yeah. actual marketing of it. Exactly right. But, claim but we're going 10. out on a break. Let's pick pick that topic back up. Come we'll come back. back. To pot. We have You're, to come back to ten. We'll, we'll come back to that. You're listening to <laughs> Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the Biz Talk Radio Network and over Voice America. Our guest today is Attorney Dave Law Revere, and we're talking about patent law. Deciding to go to law school brings up questions.
Questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our topic today is patent law, and our guest is attorney Dave LaRiviere. And Dave, before we went on the break, we were talking about the topic of the potential, or actually the actual patent of marijuana. Exactly right. We were talking about a patent that was issued a little over a year ago, uh, and I think it's a, a very strong patent. Uh, they did a very fine, a very well written uh, for an outfit down in Southern California. Um, and you asked whether the, we had actual the product covered or the method by processing. And I gave you the typical lawyer answer, and mm -hmm. I said both. Indeed, the patent includes both the product, and I'll come back to that in a minute, and the method for making it, the method for so put, Dave, producing I, it. I was uh, about two months ago, I was up visiting in Oregon where marijuana is legal. And I uh, went into one of the dispensaries and a, a really knowledgeable young man walked through the process in Oregon and how they're regulating it. And, and they require that the percentage of CBD and THC be on every single product, whether it's a canister of buds or gummy bears or brownies or cookies or oils or tinctures and on and on and on. But I would the, say that's going to be a key issue here of how to regulate, right. correct? That's a state requirement of Oregon, is that it right? It is. Yes. Well, I think this gives an obvious way to uh, regulate uh, in the state of California, assuming it eventually goes uh, fully statewide legal. Even from the standpoint of local law, I think we have some local uh, cities considering how to uh, control the medical side of marijuana. This particular patent gives that opportunity. Uh, no question about it, because they can test for the pe percentages of the THC. For, uh, do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, 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 uh, the percentage of the THC, which is, is essentially is a potency question. Exactly right. And they've got it lined out in terms of what it treats and what, which one is the best for a particular kind of treatment, from psychos psychosis to arthritis to whatever. They've got it all lined out here. Well, I do have to say, it's, it's fascinating because when I went to the shop in Oregon, I watched this young man who was really very knowledgeable about it, but I watched customers come in. Yeah. And what it struck me is... It's probably like the earliest days of a pharmacy yeah. because here you have an essentially he's licensed. To, he's got a business license to sell, but the role he was playing was that of a pharmacist because he would someone come and say, well, I'm oh, doing actually, it for lower, dis actually dispensing. Yeah, I'm looking for something for lower back pain. And he would say, well, then I would suggest this Just one over here. One over here. Yeah. I've got exactly. headaches. Uh, well, then I would suggest exactly. this one over here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, on the break, Dave, you had mentioned because we were chatting a little bit about some of the permutations of this and one is uh, going to market yes so now in this idea talk a little bit about what patent issues are in play or maybe even trade dress and trademark I would imagine well I see more even more in a technical side first that would be the processing of this I mentioned remember I mentioned there's the product and the different parts of the product then there's the method if if somebody comes up with new apparatus for processing it more efficiently, that's another patent. Okay, and uh -huh. that, that's an idea, right? That's an idea for a new way to process it, uh, either in accordance with their method claims or avoiding those method claims. The other thing that will arise, which we did talk about off-break, was how do you market this stuff? Right. Uh, how are you going to reach your market? You're going to have websites, you're going to have trademarks, you're going to have trade, trade dress that you'll want. Packaging. Wanna, packaging. And, of course, the packaging. Jingles. Jingles. <laughs> the taglines. Uh, uh, and, of course, when the state comes up with regulations, they'll have the percentages required for a given use of the marijuana, in which case they're going to they're name that particular 
marijuana sure. strain. Uh, God, you, There'll you know. be state-imposed rules that that the 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 seller developer must follow, and then there's going to be some room for creativity. For as creativity, to the and, name. and these people are pretty creative. So <laughs> this is going to be a whole new area of practice. Pot lawyers. Yeah. Easy, well, but I would easy. I have one or two clients. In yeah. Well, we've you know we've talked about the issue of how it will impact the ag industry and whether or not big leaders in the ag industry and I, I suspect they've already been reached or people have contacted them about perhaps using some of their prize acreage for growing marijuana. Well, in fact, I I do know of a, a grower actually in Santa Cruz County, not in Monterey County, but they have been in the flower business, so they already have the covered. The houses, and the greenhouses. Greenhouses, watering, the methodology of growing in a controlled environment. And but because Santa Cruz County is, has already allowed medicinal marijuana growing indoors, they are segmenting a portion of their hothouses for marijuana, medical marijuana. And I have to suspect that that is a big, better return on the per, per plant than possibly... You know, flowers. Without orchids. revealing my source, <laughs> you're exactly right, and it does extend to Monterey and uh, San Luis Obispo, uh, not 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 SLO, uh, San Benito County. San Benito that I know about. So, yeah. so Dave, is this all that different than other agriculture patents? I mean, there must be others. Have you dealt with that? I mean, that's our area here. Have you dealt with patents with other ag products? Actually, we have. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my own background is in the high, so-called high technology areas. But on the other hand, I now have on board some people in my firm that can support the biotech areas. Um, and in fact, we are involved with a number of them. We, in addition to supporting patents in uh, for harvesting and planting plants, harvesting, processing, creating ice in the field, that sort of thing. Uh, we also are involved in how to protect plants. Uh, and interestingly enough, there's a whole area of the law that related to just plant patents. <laughs> um, and in fall, we are involved with, um, I can't mention the... Uh, the uh, client at the moment, but we are involved. Acme. It's Acme company. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it is. <laughs> the net of it is uh, that uh, we are involved in another plant patent in which uh, the same rules apply, where, uh, in fact, uh, you have to show specific differences over the prior art, and you have to do it in the plant. I was about to mention, in this particular patent for uh, cannabis, they actually have to patent, or pardon me, claim the particular a registration depository uh, under various agencies. You have to have plants on file so that people can actually, that's part of the enablement or part of the disclosure. They have to have a plant registered with an agent, an agency that they can go see. We had to do the same thing with respect to this other plant patent that involves shall I say, a fungus. That's interesting. I, did, I, I do recall reading a story once, I think it was out of San Bernardino, where there was a big dispute over the growing of peppers, and there was competition over a, achieving the right kind of uh -huh. uh, tolerance level or heat level of the pepper. There were scotch bonnets and all those varieties of peppers that can be pretty hot and used in spicy dishes. Well, well I know in, the mid, in the Midwest, you know, we've heard lots about corn and grain, because yeah. those the, uh, that's a huge business, and the patenting of those... Uh, I guess GMO, genetically modified mm -hmm. organisms. Is that from GMO, uh, genetically modified? I think it is organisms. I, 
Yeah, yeah. stump the. Oh, Jason, Jason, our engineer, says thumbs Jason up does, on organisms. Does okay. Mitch a, does Mitch get a blue star for that? He, he does. Okay, good. You're on the board, not standing. Outstanding. Uh, and that that those are, are huge parts of the property and wealth of some of these companies. Well, and in addition, it's something that we all know about but may not have realized. Plants have been changing for years and years and years. Why? Because there was no good way to mechanize the harvesting of a tomato. The, the, the mechanics were too rough. Wow. So in which case, you change the plant. Let's, let's so pick now it we back have up after this tougher break. tomatoes. Tougher tomatoes. Are right. We're going tomatoes. out on a break. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. Our guest is Attorney Dave LaRiviere, and we're talking about patent law. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. 
sba.gov. Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. Oye.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to Oye.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio and over Voice America. Our in-studio guest today is attorney Dave LaRiviere, and we have been talking about patent law. And Mitch, you teased a couple of topics at the lead-in. Do you want to get into drones a I think bit? we should get into drones, and the, the coolest part about this is that you know, over a year ago, you and I talked about drones, and particularly what we thought was going to be a coming business boom in this area of agricultural use of drones. And evidently, Dave, we were right, weren't we? You're dead on, in fact. Tell right us on. a little about what you're doing with ag well, drones. Well, it's interesting because, uh, of course, the FAA is involved, and I guess they've come out with some regulations, especially around airports. Uh, the drones that we have been dealing with, we have actually two cases in-house right now. Uh, one is in the ag business. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm not sure the FAA would be able to uh, regulate this one. It's a very interesting patent involving spider mites. Spider mites. Spider okay, mites. now you've got me interested. Drones and spider mites. I'm thinking it takes spider mites a very sound like something special, really small. A very special drone to be able to detect. We're talking spider about mites. a really little drone. You know, I've been I've been at this a long, long time. Stop, Mitch, before you create some new idea. I know. No, right. right here online. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because when well, I've been in this business quite a while, and 
every once in a while, one comes in the door, a new client, and you just know he's got something. You just know. <laughs> and this young fellow has a really good idea involving how to treat for spider mites in a strawberry um, uh, field. field. Yeah. Uh, it turns out spider mites are kind of bad for strawberries. They don't do the fruit any good at all. They really like strawberries. But then there's a thing called a predator mite. Now, how do you get the predator mite on the strawberries or at the... So those are good. Predator mites are good and spider they, mites are bad. That's right. And the predator mites eat the spider, mi uh, oh. spider mites, okay? Okay. But how do you get them out there? Well, <laughs> up until now... <laughs> Wait a minute. A passenger drone? <laughs> Is that where this is going? Uh, a passenger. I go, like, they're going to have to have a whole ticketing agent. We're going to have TSA involved. I mean, are these foreign predator mites that are slipping across the border? Why are you guys, you're just going to walk into a wall here if you're not careful. <laughs> okay, back to the issue. Predator mites predator are no mites. bigger than spider mites, and you can't even see them most of the time. They're like fleas. Okay. Okay, so how do you get them out there? Typically in the past, they were put out by hand by uh, usually pickers or, you know, people working in the fields. Uh, very very uh, costly. It'd be painstaking. took a long small. time to put it out. Difficult. So this young man came up with an idea that, in fact, he would use a drone to spread the, spider, uh, the predator mites over the, the spider mites. Interestingly enough, many uh, strawberry growers grow their own predator mites. For this very purpose. Wow. So this fella has put together uh, a drone that is uh, capable of spreading um, predator mites along the row of strawberries, literally on the fly. I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so sexy. I'm sorry, that's maybe a word yeah. I shouldn't use. But anyway, he flies like maybe eight to ten inches off the ground. Wow. Now, the FAA may not care about that. Right. At least he hopes so at this point. Well, as we, did, as we learned on the show uh, a couple months ago when those rules came out, there were not any commercial rules, no. so it would have been prohibited until the most recent rules came out. Exactly. And now he can file an application for commercial use, and as this required. would be allowed. As required. I'm pretty sure this would be allowed. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, it's a very small device. It's not very big. It doesn't have to be very big. But if you can spread predator mites across a strawberry field, you can spread other things on a strawberry or any other kind of field. And that's our job to patent. Wow. So when you patent something like that... Did you that, bring a picture? <laughs> Actually, he's got a video on this thing. I didn't bring that with okay. me. Wouldn't do us any good I on mean, radio. I mean, I know anyway. it's radio, but I just want the visual. <laughs> yeah, this little thing that's distributing amazing. A, a little row of predator mites. So is when you... Okay, create wait. a patent like that. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just, when you create a patent like or draft a patent like that, so that's clearly a process that he the use of a drone to deliver this in this case just the predator. If he wanted to then deliver something else, so he's got a delivery mechanism, would you have to have a separate patent if it was gonna deliver anything other than predator mites? Not, or, not if we're any good at all. Okay. Wow. So it's, <laughs> I'm sorry to say that quite that way, but the answer is we would anticipate that very issue. Uh, and in this case, it is not a process. This is a utility patent. This is a product. This is a device. This is a drone used for a particular purpose that has a particular mechanism for spreading very small things but it, but, <laughs> okay, but, yeah, along a row. Right. Wait, back to Mitch's point, though. It's really the vessel, the mechanism by which you can spread the predator mites, right? It's, it's, so it's, it's the drone, the distribution yeah, mechanism? Yes, it is, it's the, the, we have claims drawn to the entire mechanism, of course, the whole system. But tr 
truly we have separate claims to the particular spreading device that is on board. So we read about uh, the use, uh, particularly in, in Japan, and, and high altitude and hard to get areas where they use uh, very large drones mm -hmm. to uh, fumigate fields, yes. where it would be difficult for people to get up there and do it. And so would I, you know, what's going to happen when all of these different ag uses start rolling out? I mean, that, that's going to be pretty competitive, won't it? And the patenting, patenting will be, you know, you're going to be pretty particular, won't you? I would think so. Here's, I foresee two trends. Uh, one trend would be for a, a fellow like my client who will essentially offer a service. He'll have a whole uh, bunch of, of drones set up to service the ag area in which he's settled. And he can grow uh, with a patent, of course. He can go to any state in the, in the union. Uh, the second thing would be the large growers. The big uh, strawberry growers, for example, might in fact have their own drone system uh, mm -hmm. because they would have uh, the ability, the financial uh, wherewithal, and the need to not have to engage a service. That's the two prongs I see developing for this uh, particular invention. So let me the the follow up to all of that is you get the patent, he has a but you have to be able to enforce it. What what's the process for enforcing that? So let's say he finds out, for example, I came from an area in Texas where strawberries were grown just as well, and in fact, uh, the biggest festival of the year each year was the strawberry festival. So in let's Texas? say he f in Texas, <laughs> <laughs> and so let's say he finds out that somebody in Texas has come up with a similar idea. Obviously, you've checked; it's not not been patented before because this is at first. What would he have to do to protect this from someone doing that in Texas, for example? Well, the first thing he's got to do is wait for the patent issue. Okay. This is an and application how long that that's take? pending. Uh, it depends a little bit on uh, the process of the difference between a provisional and non-provisional. We'll talk about that in a little while. But once he gets the non-provisional, the full-blown patent application ready for examination by the patent office, you're looking at somewhere between one and two years, at least. Okay. Uh, in this kind of device where there's not a whole lot of software content, um, there's a little bit, but not much, uh, the, the answer is it should go in about two years. I would think he'd have a patent in the, the 24 to 30 months time frame from the time he goes to so-called non-provisional. Now, if the, if, the, um, if the infringer in Texas, this bad guy in Texas, um, continues throughout and is then, uh, uh, I'm, I'm having three thoughts at once here. Uh, once infringement is found and he's given notice, the infringer is mm -hmm. given notice, then in fact, uh, the uh, damages start accruing. Well, there's two ways to give notice. You can put the patent number on your drone in which case he... So it would be, it would be patently obvious? Oh. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> I, you, didn't, you didn't warn me about the standard. I, thing. Yeah, so, I should have warned you. But <laughs> the answer is, the second time is you write him a letter. But you don't want to write him a letter too soon. That's the issue here that I'm trying to raise. You want to wait until a patent actually issues, and then you want to challenge him oh, okay, so at it's, that point. That's uh, potentially a ripeness issue or you're waiting exactly right. you're that's true that's okay. exactly right got it so so you're looking at two years and depending on when the infringement started you just keep track of him and see if he continues to grow i wish i hadn't said it. gets yeah. larger and in, 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 in his infringement activity 
Wow, that's really something. And so other drone use, uh, do you expect to see other patents that then roll out on drones? This one in agriculture Funny, funny is, you should bring that okay. up. Okay. <laughs> in fact, we do have another case that I can talk about. I have my client's permission to talk about. And this one's really interesting as well. Um, the bottom line to this one is medevac. Ah, uh, topic we, we had, we had uh, that topic before. We, we did talk about, about the use First here. responders and law enforcement. Exactly. The patrolling, the, patrolling the coast, patrolling the forests. I mean, there just seems like a, this is going to be a really useful thing in our area out well, here. Well, I think this fellow, this client has focused primarily on uh, helping, in, uh, helping out with respect to emergency situations such mm -hmm. as our recent fires. Let's hold that thought and let's pick it back up uh, after the break. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. Our in-studio guest is attorney Dave LaRiviere, and we're talking about patent law. And when we return, we'll talk about the use of drones in emergency situations. We'll be right back. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at ftc.gov. 
although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy LaRiviere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our topic today has been patent law, and our in-studio guest is attorney Dave LaRiviere. And Dave, before the break... You were talking about uh, drones and the patent involving drones. Well, we've got two such cases in-house at the moment. I think we have another one brewing somewhere. Drones have become, of course, very important to all kinds of industries and uh, the like. This particular patent relates to, I mentioned just before the break, the medevac, the emergency evacuation of an injured, uh, somebody who's been injured on the job. This particular technology involves a drone that can get into very tight places that are too tight for a helicopter. In fact, a helicopter pilot is, part, is the inventor here. It's just too tight. You can't get them in there. So you go in with a very small um, uh, drone, a suitably designed for a single person so they can be laid essentially on a stretcher and in fact the um, uh, uh, any medical uh, application uh, uh, what am I talking about? intravenous uh, uh, so IVs, IVs splints, that sort of thing anything like that, that. A, an on the ground um, medical person can actually apply that's put into place and then the drone is controlled uh, remotely 
and actually rises from the landing place after having landed there, of course, and then takes off and can go a very short distance. It could be 200 yards, could be two miles, could be 20 miles. Yeah, it could take it to a waiting ambulance or could it take it all the way to a hospital. Exactly right. And, of course, there's other features involving more than one uh, uh, person riding on it in case that person really needs help on the way to whatever help they have. If they have to go a longer distance, they may need help on, on the fly, quite literally on the fly. So uh, it's a very important technology. Uh, we could have used it down here at the fire, uh, Sobrani's fire. Uh, sure. With that I remember one, with firefighter. when the one the firefighter got exactly. injured when his uh, tractor dumped uh, over. Yeah, exactly right. It was a, a big... Uh, so... That's the technology uh, that I think is very important here. And, of course, there's a jillion other possibilities depending on uh, uh, the type of uh, emergency that uh, any fire would be a part of it. Of course, wartime, any military operation as well. At least getting in there, the drone has nobody riding on it. Right. So the hope is that, in fact, you'd you'd lose that up. You'd you'd gain the opportunity to not risk life and limb going into a a, a hot zone. Dangerous situation. Well, that's great. I suspect that we'll be able to bring you back many times as as drones evolve as part of our commerce because you're just scratching the surface. Absolutely. You know, we started the topic by just talking about FAA restrictions. Right. And some of the (laughs) so-called vanilla topics. And now we did predict allowed, yeah, we're going to yeah. see all these things rolling out. I want to talk, before we run out of time, I want to talk a little more about a case that came up yes. here in California with the company Palantir because it raised another question in my mind. Uh, here's a case where one of the original, evidently, allegedly, uh, one of the founders and investors in a company used his status, his claim to have used his status as an investor to have access to secret information about a company. And then, according to the company, he then went and filed three patents, not in the company's name, but in his own personal name. So that that raised this whole issue of, you know, if it was an employee, you would expect them to have non-disclosures and all of that. But do you have to protect your clients from investors? Boy, it's an interesting case. This has so many issues in it, one of which is one of my favorite. It's a brand new case. It was filed on September 1st of this year. So I was not quite as familiar with it as I've now become. But it raises all kinds of issues related to confidentiality, to um, uh, fiduciary duty. I mean, as an investor, he has to have some kind of fiduciary duties. We only have the facts uh, of the, the the alleged in the complaint at right. this point. So we only have the company's claims. We don't know That's what his correct. response is going to be yet. But if any part of it is true, and I'd like to think that most of it is, uh, uh, the defendant's got some problems. He really does. Uh, the issue here is... The first to file under current patent law. Under current patent law, whoever files first, whether it be a provisional or a non-provisional, uh, wins the the technology, the uh, the stake in the ground, the priorities as we refer to it. Um, it turns out that um, the uh, plaintiff in this case had already filed. Um, some patent applications covering the technology on which the defendant filed his own patents, okay? Uh, And in fact, uh, he filed it on a third area um, uh, after our our client, uh, our client, our plaintiff had filed. So now the the plaintiff is already in the position of having won the race to the patent office. Under current law, again, the first to file wins, not the first to invent. 
it's a very interesting segment of our new law that uh, brings to mind my concern about constitutionality. Under the Constitution, of course, uh, uh, that says, uh, Article 1, Section 8, Congress uh, shall have the right to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times, that's why a patent dies, to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Not owners. Aha. Not owners. Not somebody who didn't invent. Not somebody who didn't write it. Not in... Uh, so you, so you find this kind of an action particularly repugnant. Oh, this boy, is do I. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in this case, I think uh, they've got so many different things. To, and in fact, the complaint raises five different claims, breach of contract, breach of all kinds of things. Um, and certainly, uh, this, the, the, the defendant here acted completely without uh, good faith at all. So we'll have to come back and talk about this when this case progresses on because it sounds like there's a lot of issues. This one's going to be a long time, I think. So as we wrap up here, tell us a little about... So we've got uh, small businesses out there listening to our show, business people. Uh, just as a kind of wrap-up, do all of us have things, all of us in business have things we ought to be thinking about protecting? Because you've talked about patents, trademarks, trade dress, copyrights. I'm a small business. I have a law firm, but I'm a small business. Mm -hmm. And I have intellectual property, and yes, I've walked my talk. Mm -hmm. I've got trade, trademark registrations. Uh, I don't. I have some patents, but not in the name of the firm yet. <laughs> but the bottom line is, I once heard uh, some time ago that uh, from more than one decorator that uh, every room, whether no, no matter what your style uh, or taste is in furniture and decoration, every room should have a little bit of black in it. <laughs> well. Uh -huh. Every business has a little bit of IP. Trust me, it does. <laughs> uh, that's great, Dave. That's a good mantra. So thank you, Dave LaRiviere. We've been talking about patent law and intellectual property here on wagnerandwinnick.com. This is a reminder that you can hear an archive of this show at wagnerandwinnick.com and at voiceamerica.com. As we suggest to you each week as we end our show, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.